Let's turn to Psalm 22. As you know, we're continuing the introduction to this psalm. This psalm is a favorite, of course, among God's people, mainly because of the subject matter of this psalm, and that is the subject matter of the Lord Jesus, especially his sufferings upon the cross. We can see some of the, I think, some of the most clearest statements of the crucifixion of Christ that are found in the Old Testament, and they are found here in Psalm 22. Also, we do find that several of the passages that we find in Psalm 22 are quoted or referred to by New Testament writers, and they too apply it to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know, for instance, that part of verse 1, my God, my God, well, how has that forsaken me, was actually spoken by our Lord himself there upon the cross as he was hanging there in order to atone for the sins of his people. And as we've also mentioned, this psalm is not wholly taken up with uh, the sufferings of Christ. The latter part of Psalm 22 deals and speaks with his triumphs. It would seem that God does answer his prayers in this psalm, and thus God delivers him. And, uh, of course, we know the benefits from all of that. So while it does speak of his sufferings, it also speaks then of his deliverance. But I think the psalm is mainly known because of its language of, of the Lord Jesus there on the cross, his crucifixion, and so forth. Someone has compiled a ranking of the popularity of the psalms, and Psalm 22, now whether this ranking has really anything, no one asked me what it was, and I doubt if any of you have been asked what, how you ranked it, so where this poll came from, I'm not sure or how they did it. But anyway, it is rated number 28 of all the psalms that are out there, the psalm of the 150th psalm. Now, again, as I said, just how accurate that is, I couldn't say. I would have certainly put it a little bit higher, uh, but that's me. Now, in the first two sermons so far, we've covered, you remember, a general uh, overview of the book of Psalms. That is, we spoke about the 150 psalms together together. Uh, something of the views of how they were used in the scripture, especially in the New Testament, some of the things that you can learn as you read the book of Psalms. And so we, we dealt with that. Then we examined a brief overview of Psalm 22 itself. We just kind of gave what this psalm was about. And as we've already mentioned, we broke it up basically into two parts, one dealing with his sufferings and the other one dealing with his deliverance. Then the third thing, and this was a very, very short time that we dealt with it, was an overall view of the titles that are attached to the Psalms. And I did this for a couple of reasons. One, out of the 150 Psalms that we do have in the Psalter, the book of Psalms, of that 150, I believe there are 116 of those Psalms which actually have titles. So as you go through there and flip through the book of Psalms, you'll see then that most of the Psalms do have a title. So I thought it was good then just to give us an idea of something of that, of the nature of those titles, what they're all about. And we learned that there are several things that we can glean from those titles, especially as they give us some information about the corresponding Psalm that they're attached to. Another reason I did so was because our psalm itself has a title. You'll notice there in uh, just below Psalm 22, it says to the chief musician upon 
and I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, I Jaleth Shehar, a Psalm of David. And I thought it would be fair game then that we discuss something about the title since our Psalm itself has a title with it. And so this brings us then to the particular subject that I want to speak upon this morning. And I want to open up then the title a little bit more fully than what we did in the, and so far, and, and especially the title as we see it here in Psalm 22. Now, as I stated previously, I do believe these titles to be part of Scripture, and so I would feel amiss if I did not actually take the opportunity and the time and the labor then to look at the titles and try to glean the information that they'll be giving us and also some application from them, as I do believe they are Scripture. Thus, then, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And then the verse continues on there, telling us what the Scriptures then are profitable for. And thus, as this is Scripture, in my understanding, then there are some things then that I think we could draw from this that can be helpful to us, not only in trying to understand what the psalm is about, but also in the fact of being able to apply it in the sense of our own walk before the Lord. So this morning, then, let's consider what is revealed here in this title. Now, at a glance, just as a glance here, you can see several things that are mentioned. First of all, there are two individuals that are spoken of here in the title. One is, of course, the chief musician, and the other one is David. So we see one of them is named, and of course, one is not. One, we do see a what we would call a position, or a title, or a station, and the other does not, though we know, for instance, David had many uh, clothes to wear, we would say. He was a soldier, he was a king, he was a psalmist, all those sorts of things can be stated about David, but that's not what's mentioned here. It just simply says here that it is by David. So we see two things. One, the chief musician, and then secondly, it uh, is the title, or it's finally the title that it is by David. The next thing we can see that it is a psalm, as it's called here, a psalm of David. So we know this to be a psalm, not because it sits within the books of the psalm, but because of the very title itself. It is a psalm of David. Now, not every title that we see has the term psalm in it regarding it. It could say song at some times, which shows us there that a song and a psalm are actually the very same thing. So these people who are trying to discern psalm, hymn, spiritual psalm, uh, they don't necessarily go by the Bible in order to define their terminology. But if they stuck to the terminology of the Bible, they would see that it's really basically the very same thing. A psalm is a song, and a song in the Bible is a psalm. Not only that, we learn here that this psalm was to the chief musician. That, In other words, it was given to him. He was given the psalm after David had penned it. We don't know how long of the interval there was between that and this time here, but nonetheless, we do see it at least given to the chief musician, and that has significance uh, which we'll deal with as we come to that. The fourth thing we can see there is what we don't see, I guess we could say, is we don't see a reason for this psalm or a purpose or an occasion. Now, some of the psalms we do see that. For instance, as we were expounding through Psalm 51, 
We also spent a considerable amount of time on the title because we found a whole lot of information, you remember, from that title regarding Psalm 51, the author, who it was about, what it was about, the occasion, and so forth. And so if you would turn there, you just turn there for a second, we'll see something of the occasion that's found in this psalm, that is Psalm 51, just as an example. It says here, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we see something here of the, of the timing of that. We see something of the occasion of it and so forth. But when we come back to our particular psalm, we don't see that. We just see that it is a psalm of David. We don't see the timing of it. We don't see anything like that. But other than it was just given to the chief musician. So if there was a purpose, I guess you could say the purpose as it was, it was to give it to him. But as we continue to read through the psalm, we know there are some very important things that excited David to write this particular psalm. So the title itself then doesn't give us a whole lot of information on the when or the why or upon what was the occasion that this psalm was penned or, or, or composed. The fifth thing we can note here is that we can see the author. And of course, that's very simple. It's David. And I realize in some of the commentators, they'll tell you that doesn't necessarily mean that David is the author. But we're going to stick with it that it is. It seems so much like David and what he says here. So we're going to believe that to be so. We believe David to be the author. And when we come to that portion, when we open it up, we'll show you some of the reasons as to why of that and also some of the other psalms as they show David as the author. And then we can find some of the psalms that have no title whatsoever, and we know them to be David's composition because the New Testament writers apply it to David itself. For instance, Psalm 2 in the New Testament is attributed to David. Psalm uh, 95, which has no title, once again, is attributed to David in the New Testament. How did they know that? Since the Bible did not tell them that. Well... It was the Holy Spirit, obviously, who was guiding them to write the very things in which they, which was penned and so forth. The sixth thing we see here, and that's the last, is that phrase in the middle, which is, it says here, upon Ijelethshehar. Now, we'll get into that when we come to that, but I uh, won't say anything more about that at this point. Now, what we're going to do this morning, then, is to try to pull all that together, not only this morning, but uh, next week as well, as we look to this title as it's given here in Psalm 22. So the first thing we want us to notice here is to whom the psalm is given unto. And that's easily discerned here. It says, to the chief musician. The phrase chief musician is one that's found quite often in the Psalms. In fact, out of the 160, 116 titles that we find in the Psalms, that 55 itself has this section of the title that says, To the Chief Musician. And by the way, this is the only place in the Scriptures in which we find that phrase, To the Chief Musician. It doesn't occur outside of the book of Psalms. And so the phrase then is always found within the title then of the Psalms. 
And not only that, it's always found as it's found here. In other words, it will say to the chief musician, though there'll be some things that are following afterwards and some of the things that would be following before it's stated. But nonetheless, we do see the phrase to the chief musician, except for once. And I'll show you that here in a moment. Sometimes it will read to the chief musician all by itself. For instance, in Psalm 11, you flip back over there. It just simply says to the chief musician. Then there's a comma. It says a Psalm of David. Psalm 13 as well says to the chief musician. No other description about the chief musician. a musician other than it is to him, and that's all it says regarding that. At other times, you'll see the phrase to the chief musician, and then following it will say own, that's O-N, by the way, I'm talking from the south, so it's own or on, as you say here, own, and then it gives what it's going to be talking about, or it will use the phrase upon. Now you ask, why do I not say Upon, I don't know. That's just how we were taught in Southern Alabama. But you will see the phrase upon then after the word uh, musician is found in several texts. For instance, in Psalm 4, we see the word own. And in Psalm 5, we see the word upon. You say, well, what has it got to do with anything? Why are you bringing it up? Because there is some significance to all this that we'll be bringing out here soon. Psalm 44 it reads this way, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah. So the chief musician then was to get it, and then it was for the sons of Korah. That's found, for instance, as I mentioned there, Psalm 44. Psalm 45 says the very same thing. Psalm 46 says the same thing. Psalm 62 then begins something different. It says, to the chief musician to J. Dutham. You say, well, what's I got to do with it? Well, we'll again, look at that at another time. Psalm 88, though, gives us a change. You want to flip there or listen to me. Psalm 88 and verse... Oh, no, it's not verse. It's Psalm 88. A song, there's that phrase there, or psalm for the sons of Kor to the chief musician upon Mehaleth Leonoth, a mascal of Heban, the Ezraite. So there's a mouthful there. Of words, So we see the different uses of the phrase there, chief to the chief musician. Okay, well, what does all that mean anyway? What is this idea to the chief musician or the chief musician? Well, obviously, one, the chief musician was someone who leads in the singing. Or it was someone who was the overseer of the music, in other words, the one in charge. That's what the word chief there means in the scriptures. When someone is the chief, it has the idea of being an overseer. So they were the one who were in charge of the music program that was going on there in the tabernacle and the soon-to-be temple. Now, the, the importance of all this is, first of all, this was never done before. You remember in the book uh, of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, especially beginning there in Exodus and onward of the other four, three books, you see God laying out how that he was to be worshipped at that part in time in the Old Covenant. There was no music in the tabernacle at that day. They didn't go around chanting and singing. There was no uh, music either with voice or with 
instruments that were going on during that time. So for hundreds of years, there was nothing like that. It's not till we come to David that we see this great change, and that is a great, significant theological change when we see now David introducing the music program into what will soon be the temple. So for the first few hundred years, there was to be no music in the worship of God. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Because in our society, especially, uh, church are so geared towards music. I mean, most of their services, a lot of times, the preaching is is relegated to a very small uh, part of the service, and you have all this music going on. Well, in the Old Covenant, the first few hundred years, there was none at all. That would have been quite a shock to some of those fellows. But, I mean, there would have been no uh, job for the music minister at all in the first few hundred years of the Old Covenant. Then we come to David. We see David then laying out in the Scriptures the way and in the manner and the method in which God is now going to change at least a portion of his worship when it comes to the latter part of the tabernacle under David and then into the temple worship that will be built, as you know, the temple being built by Solomon, his son. So there was none of that for the first few hundred years. And then we do see from then onward, from the David's time, that music, musical instruments and psalms then were introduced into the music or into the worship. Now let me ask you, would it have been right and correct and would God have received it if for those first few hundred years they would have introduced music without God asking for it or telling them to do so? Well, no, they were commanded in the Old Covenant. Specifically, they were not to add to or take away from what God had commanded. And they call that the regulative principle, by the way. And this is what we practice here, or we try. It's not as easy as it sounds, because we have all this tradition we have to chip away before we get down to really finding out what did God really say about how we're to worship Him. And we've added so much to it that it's very hard to discern nowadays what we're to do and what we're not to do. But again, as I said, when David comes along in the latter part of his years, this is introduced. And it's not just introduced because David is poetic and David has a heart for music, but it was because this is what God instructed David to do. And it would have been wrong if David had not done so, correct? You said, yeah, because he was to obey God. But before that, there was no command to do it, so it was okay if they didn't have music. In fact, it would have been wrong if they would have had music because God didn't say do it. So there is this then a theological shift in the mode and manner and method of worship that comes along in the Old Testament. And that's why we believe in this principle that unless God tells us to do something, we're not to do it. And if he has told us to do something, then we are to do it. And it's strange, very strange. When you come to the New Testament, you don't find that stuff, do you? You don't find musical instruments at all in the New Testament, except in the book of Revelation, which, of course, is highly figurative. 
But here on earth, there is no musical instruments, for instance, in the New Testament worship. Look for it. It's not there. Why is that? Once again, there was a change. And it was a good change, a needful change for that. This is why we don't do some of the things that we find in the None of us here sacrifice animals in our worship, either in home or here. We do not, at least all we don't, we do not, uh, we don't pray towards the temple. Do we? I don't even know which way the temple is sitting right now because I get confused when I turn off of the highway, whatever that is out there, and we, what, what do we do? We head north, I guess it is? So that would be north. So west is which direction? Quick, somebody, which way's west here? You think it's that way? You have to get my phone out and look, I guess. But yeah, that would be either that way or that way. You'd enter the temple one of these days, wouldn't you? If you're heading that way. Do we pray? Well, I guess I do pray that way, don't I? <laughs> and if you're praying, you pray to these. You'll hit it too, won't you? But that's just what required in the New Testament, is it? We see nothing like that. You see, there's a very important lesson in all of this. And that we're to worship God as he directs us, not as we think and how we think. Because each of us, by the way, would have a different opinion about how things ought to be run. You would have your opinion, and I would have mine. And none of us would agree. So what we have to agree to is what the Scripture tells us to do or not to do. So we see here that David then was to give what he composed to the chief musician. So he gave it to him for a couple of reasons. One, for it to be probably put to music or to put it to a tune. And that may be what that fancy word there is or two phrases, that's found there in Psalm 22. Because as our translators understood it, it is upon something. This psalm is to be upon something. So it's either upon a musical instrument or it's regarding a tune. Either way. So this is what was to be performed then within the temple, that is the public worship. So we find out in the Old Testament that we read of David then appointing the musicians, he appointed singers to be used in the upcoming temple worship of God. So David was given by God then instructions to introduce those things in public worship. Now let's turn over to, if you'd like, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First, no, not 1 Corinthians, excuse me, First. Chronicles, that's the word. First Chronicles chapter 15. And we begin to see some of this going on that it's spoken there. Whoop, that's not it. Maybe it's Second Chronicles. Nope, that's not it either. Oh, you know why? Because I'm in Second Chronicles. This job really isn't as easy as it looks, really. First Chronicles chapter 15 and beginning in verse 16. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries, and harps, and cymbals, 
sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. So this is where it comes from. Now, just a little side note here. You remember it was the children of the Levites that were to take, or the tribe of Levi, that was to take uh, control of the worship of God. At that day, before David, they were just to be ministering there in the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle became stationary, then a lot of their jobs became kind of obsolete. And so they began to have rotations of that. And so that's why you find out, in, for instance, in, in the New Testament, that John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, it became his turn to go minister into the tabernacle or the temple at that time. And the reason for that was because he had a certain time limit to do so. And then when his time was up, he went home. Well, you got all of these guys here, these because the tribe is multiplying now. So there's lots of them. And there's not a whole lot to do anymore. And so David here gives them something to do. This is just, again, a side note of this. They are now employed, some of those fellows who were the, just the children of Levi, are now employed not carrying water and sticks and offering sacrifices, but they're now appointed as singers and playing instruments. You notice in verse 16, he says there, to be singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. So there was this section of folks there who were in the temple or going to be in the temple who would sing to God. And that was their job. Their job description was you play this instrument and you sing. You play this instrument and you sing and so forth. And for those that just and not trying to be a smart aleck here this morning at all, please don't take it that way. If you believe in musical instruments and the church, which one do you play? You will have to learn an instrument if you believe that wholeheartedly. Seriously. You will have to learn an instrument. You say, well, I don't know how to play. Well, then you're being deficient before God. Because you'll notice in the Psalms, it tells them to do that. It tells you to do that. So you'll have to play. You'll have to learn some instrument. And you know, I'm not, I'm not musically inclined. Okay, well, then you can't fulfill scripture there. But let's go on, verse 17. So I told you there's lots of theological information in all this. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren, Asaph. Now you'll find Asaph's name, by the way, in some of the Psalms, or at least we think it's the same fellow. The son of Berechiah and the sons of Miriah, their brethren, Ethan, the son of Kushiah, and with them their brethren of the second degree, Zechariah, Ben, Jaazael, and oh boy, Shemiramoth, and Jerhiel, and Unai, and Eliab, and Benaniah, and Maaseiah, and Matanathiah, and Elaphile, and Milkniah, and Obedim, and G, J, no, G, I, L, the porters. So the singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. So some of the singers were also playing the cymbals as well. Verse 20, and Zechariah and Azel and Shemarathmoth and Jael and Unai and Elab and Maaseah and Benaniah with psalteries on Alamoth. That must be an instrument of some sort, and so forth. So you read there that these fellows were all employed there 
with their instruments. In verse 27, And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites that bear the ark, and the singers, and Chenaniah, the master of the song with the singers. You see, he could have been the chief musician. You see, he was the master of the song with the singers. David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Also, and I think it's, I won't turn there, but 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, we see that Asaph, once again, is there. And then David also delivered, you notice in verse 7 of First uh, Corinthians Chronicles 16, says, Then on the day that David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. So perhaps maybe Asaph was the chief musician. Because the same kind of language is found there, isn't it? It was given over to him. Well, what is the significance that this psalm then was given to the chief musician? Well, first, that this psalm was penned by David for whatever circumstances that we find in this psalm, that it was to be used in singing. Underscore that. It was to be used for singing. Remember, one of the purposes of the book of Psalms was for singing. And it was and used as a means then of praising God. See, a lot of times we just think of the book of Psalms as just a psalm to quote in a sermon or a psalm just to sit and to read. But biblically, it was used also for singing. So in a lot of circles, this would be a very strange thing to think that you want you ought to sing the psalms. You believe the looks and the responses I can get from folks when I tell them that we worship God by singing the psalms. They think we're a cult. We think we're something strange, something unusual. But really, we're being biblical. Are we not? Because that's what we see them doing. They understand they should sing, but singing the Psalms is something that's quite foreign. But it shouldn't be. The Old Testament, for instance, records that they did so. We saw these scriptures just then. But also, even in the New Testament. Now, I'm not telling us here that this is exclusive psalmody. That's a whole different argument altogether, and I'm not dealing with that. I'm just dealing with the fact that we are to sing Psalms. We can get into that argument another day if you want to, but... For the, just for the sake of telling us here we should do that, this is what the Scripture says. He tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 19, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3 and verse 16, once again, same admonition. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. James chapter 5, another interesting little passage where he tells us there, Is any among you afflicted? What's he to do? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him pray. Sing psalms. Now you could twist that verse all you like, but that's exactly what it says. Let him sing psalms. 
It's amazing how the first admonition no one has a problem with. Let him pray. No one tries to say that means something different than to pray. But when it suddenly, when it goes down to where he says, let him sing psalms, they will try to make that say anything but sing the psalms. So there's one of the reasons why it's important that we see that it's given there to the chief musician. And you know, one of the great things about singing the psalms and there's really many things that are great about it. But first of all, we're singing the truth. We're singing the truth. You're not, you're not going by just what some fellow thought some theological truth is taking. You, you sing the hymns of Wesley, guess what? You're singing Arminianism and many of those psalms. In fact, some of these fellows who have to sing those things in public worship, they will change some of the wording so that it won't sound so Armenian. And... They're singing. You don't have to do that with Psalms, do you? You got the truth there. Secondly, they set forth true biblical doctrine and Christian experience. We know there's biblical doctrine there, obviously. But what you find in the Psalms is a description of what it means to have all those emotions, if you want to use that phrase, all those affections that a true believer can possess and does possess. For instance, in the Psalms, you see them singing about the downtrodden. You see someone singing about being a victor, a warrior, a soldier, someone whose heart is broken, someone who's riding high. The Christian on the mountaintops, the Christian in the valleys, the sinners, the ones who are to repent. The psalmist himself, he sings about the joys and he sings about heartaches. They speak of Christ. I mean, it says it's a balanced Christian life. It's not the other way with a lot of these so-called hymns. You read Fanny Crosby's hymn, she never had a bad day in her life. That's just not real. It's just not real. But you do get reality in the psalm. Read Psalm 77. There, there are phrases in there that we wouldn't dare repeat because we would be embarrassed. But the psalmist sings them. He's in troubles. He's in doubts. And he's wondering if God is still merciful anymore, he says. We don't, we don't talk like that, do we? We'd be... That would be, well, he's not very spiritual sounding like that. He's doubting whether God's merciful or not. Does he know the five points? We wouldn't say stuff like that. Would but the psalmist does. Why? Because that's how we really feel at times. When we're brought low and we're saddened and we're disappointed and we have our doubts. But two, we can read about the highs and the joys of the Christian life that's found in the psalms. All that's there. And it's balanced. Not every psalm is way up here, is it? And everything's great. And boy, no problems whatsoever. But there are days in which he may feel that way. But then there's days when he's down in the dumps. Then there's days when he's just kind of riding plain. Well, why? Because that's, that's real Christianity. And the other is it's a lie. It's a lie. They just don't admit it. 
The second thing we can see here by giving it to the chief musician is that we can see that it was written for the purpose of public praise. It wasn't just for private praise. It wasn't just for personal praise. And while we ought to do that, while we ought to sing praises to God and to praise Him privately and personally and our families and so forth, but there's a great need to do so publicly. This is why, by the way, we sing in public worship. It is so that we can all with one voice lift, up, lift it up unto God and we're praising Him corporately. This is what He desires. You, know, you got people, I don't sing very well. Well, sing anyway. I'm always, when I'm not in the mood to sing, and there are times like that, obviously, I'll get that way. That's part of that real Christianity, you know. But I always try to think about that passage in Zechariah. No, it's not Zechariah. It's uh, one of those little minor prophets. Zephaniah. Zephaniah. And it's in Zephaniah chapter 3. And he's talking about how that the Lord joys over his people. He thinks about them and enjoys. But in that passage, it says, when he thinks about us, he sings over us. In case you don't believe that, I'll read it to you. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Think of that. When God's in heaven, or as he's in heaven there, and he thinks about his people, he breaks out in a psalm of joy, or a song of joy. He sings over you, dear Christian. You. Isn't that amazing? And you know, normally people sing for two reasons. Three, if you want to be proud, you want to sing for money or something like that. But you sing normally because... It's enjoy. You're happy, and so you sing. Or you can sing because you're sad. You, know, you get these sad songs that are <clears throat> hammered out sometimes. But when the Lord sings, it's because He's happy over us. He thinks of us in Christ, loves us with an everlasting love, and that causes Him to sing for joy over us. You ever think of that? Well, that's a great motivator, isn't it? To make us sing unto the Lord, to hone our singing. You know, we, we practice praying. We want to pray better, don't we? We want to be a better husband. We want to be a better wife. We take labors to do that. We want to be a better worker. We'll educate ourselves so our bosses will be pleased. We show up on time. All those kind of things. We try to practice and to hone our skills and whatever grace that we want to do. But when it comes to singing, we don't think that way. But we ought to try to sing at our best. And while we may have terrible voices, we can still sing unto the Lord. And we can hone that. We can practice that. We can become better at it. That's why we take the time and opportunity to practice hymn or um, tunes and so forth uh, at least once a month here. And I hope you do so on your own. David <clears throat> sends out the Psalms every week. Uh, or, Tries to get them out every week. If I get them to him in time, 
and uh, with the tune so that we can practice those things so that we do sound better unto the Lord. So that doesn't sound very spiritual. Oh, people have just misdefined spirituality so much. It's doing what the Bible tells us and of being obedient to it. Well, those are some things that we can learn. And God in his great wisdom has decreed that we, that this song was given to the chief musician and it was to be left for public use and it was to be that way in which it was preserved down through the ages, even to us here this morning, so that we might sing unto the Lord. Now again, I wasn't talking about this morning exclusive psalmodies. That wasn't my harp today. It was just the fact that we should sing. And we should sing, obviously, the song. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll pick up with some more, Lord willing, next time. So may God bless us.